Hello everyone, my name is Kevin Verga, and I'm joined as always with my co-host Devin D'Agostino. Devin, how are you? Well, Kev, hello everyone out there, and I never get to say hello everyone, I realize. Yeah, say hi Because I'm always like, so I'm saying hi, hey everyone, hey there, hey mom, I know you're listening. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, usually you say hi to me, but today you say hi to everyone, which is really nice. We're just kind of middleman. In just a second, Devin, I, and everyone... (laughs) are going to stop making sense. And what that means is every week, Dev and I will choose a new Talking head song to analyze and ponder. And we let our minds wander to uncharted realms of science and comedy and music. And we answer such burning questions as, who took the money? Who took the money away? Why stay in college? Why go to night school? And most importantly, where is that large automobile? All this and more coming up on this episode of Devin and Kevin Stop Making Sense. This week's episode, Making Flippy Floppy. Now looking at the song in context, I realize that, and this might be a bold statement, I think that the Speaking in Tongues songs steal the show of Stop Making Sense. I find them like the most fun songs. Examples being Slippery People, Making Flippy Floppy, This Must Be The Place, Girlfriend Is Better. I think those are all set pieces that are fantastic. And I'm happy to dive into Making Flippy Floppy specifically because I think it is another fantastic set piece in Stop Making Sense, the film, as well as the album, Speaking in Tongues, where it follows directly after Burning Down the House. did you find yourself listening to more Devin the album version or the stop making sense version it's interesting because I usually gravitate towards the stop making sense version but I really dig the album version so I listen to the album version a lot more how about you definitely stop making sense I really have to force myself to listen to the album version and I'm not sure why I think the stop making sense version is just so funky do you notice any distinct differences between the two versions I really focused on the album version. I've been trying to push myself to listen to album versions over concert versions yeah. to really like get to the core of it. But there's a longer guitar solo in the concert version. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. That's the one thing I I'm think, definitely I don't sure even about. think there is a guitar solo in the studio version. I think there's two right. synth solos and David Byrne takes a guitar solo in the Stop Making Sense version, which I'm always down for him to take. I mean, it's a nice addition. Oh, yeah. yeah. Also, when he's live, more percussion. Oh, yeah. I did notice that the album version has more lyrics. There's a few lyrics that are on the album that aren't in Stop Making Sense. We'll dive into the lyrics to figure out which ones were only on the album, which ones weren't. And I think the opening to the song, there's an addition, actually, that Stop Making Sense has that the album version doesn't have, which is, wait a minute, everybody get in line. Mm -hmm. Nothing can come between us. Nothing gets you down. Nothing strikes your fancy. Nothing turns you on. Well, that is just fantastic. I mean, we always talk about, and I always geek out about the thesis statements of these songs, but you can't say those words just without getting a little funky and shaking your hips to them while you're saying them. What do you think of those opening lyrics? I had quite the journey with this song on what I thought it was about and where I was Mm -hmm. going with it. And I really went line by line, which isn't something I usually do. 
But this was sort of my initial reactions. I was like, line one, romantic. Line two, fun. Line three and four, I stopped and was like, okay, maybe things aren't as good as they look for this couple that I guess I ended up picturing. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, line, line five and six, okay, maybe there's an argument going on. Maybe they have limited time. And then I got to line seven. I'm like, this is Kev's line. He's going to have some things to say about it. <laughs> and line well, seven is set someone free, break someone's heart. Ah, and here we come to the first few lyrics that are only on the album version. One through four, these are nothing can come between us. Nothing gets you yeah. down. That's one and two, where you say that's a bit romantic. That's kind of like a nice young couple in love. Would you agree? That's what, I've that's what I was sort of picturing in the beginning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, like you said, it starts to twist. And I started imagining like maybe a married couple that's, you know, maybe their best days are in their past and they're not feeling it as much, which is nothing strikes your fancy. Nothing turns you on where we're talking about maybe losing interest in things that you really used to care about. And also the lack of maybe sex drive in nothing turns you on. And now these lyrics, maybe you would like to read them that are only in the studio version. Somebody is waiting in the hallway. Somebody is falling down the stairs. Set someone free, break someone's heart. Stand up, help us out. So this, I, I think, did you, were you picturing a couple when you started reading this as well? Or were mm-hmm. you sort of riffing off? Okay, because with these lines, I pictured them, and I like that you talked about this married couple, I pictured them in couple, couples counseling. Mm-hmm. Like someone's waiting outside, right? There's a line out the door. And I went with this and the thesis, because I moved away from this idea of couple and romanticism, but we'll get to that in a little bit. But I thought if there was a thesis for it, it's the idea of like expectation for how things should be, even though they rarely are that way. And then later on, I think we get to the conclusion that that's okay, that's fine. But it seemed like the couple, they're there, they're there with their counselor. And even though the counselor is telling them their love should be a certain way, the realization is that, you know what? No, it's up to us. We'll do things our way. But I moved away from this. But let me hear your initial thoughts on that. All right. All right. So you said that you thought of me when you heard the line, set someone free, break someone's heart. I thought you'd have something to say about that line. I just, that seemed like a Kevin line. Yeah. So this is, if I'm listening to the Stop Making Sense version, I'm not hearing this line as much, but so I kind of have a fresher take on it. And I do agree with it. That little couplet, set someone free, break someone's heart. It's almost like the yin-yang, the darkness and the lightness in the end of a relationship. Like we said in those first four lines, we kind of mm-hmm. have an arc of a relationship from love to fading love. And now set someone free, break someone's heart. Oftentimes, when you're breaking up with someone after like a long-term relationship, you're hurting someone that you've worked for years to never hurt in a really big, powerful, sad way in order to prevent hurting them in the future. It's, it's almost selfless. And to set someone's free, you have to break someone's heart. It's just a sad reality. You know, I've experienced that in the past and it's really hard. It reminds me of that Tame Impala song, Eventually. You know, I know it'll be better for us eventually, but in this moment, I'm hurting you. And that's not, not a fun part of life, but it is very growth oriented. I think you learn a lot from life in those moments of facing harsh realities and you are setting someone free and starting a new chapter in your life, even though it hurts. Profound right off the bat. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Usually a couple more quips before we get there, but I like it. I like it a lot. And then we get to the second verse, like to pick out a line from there. You don't have to wait for more instructions. That was when I gravitated towards because my big thesis, I think that I've been coming to as we've gone through these episodes is the idea that like 
the characters and talking head songs are taken up later in life in David Byrne songs. Mm. And this is like a more mature phase because, or let me ask you, did that line, you don't have to wait for more instructions, remind you of another song by David Byrne? Oh, this is fun. Uh, I, nothing yeah. comes to mind right now, but is it only a David Byrne song or a Talking Heads song? It is only a David Byrne song, but it's off his most recent album. So I think Ooh. you've probably heard it. Yeah. Okay. You don't have to wait for more instructions. I really don't know. So it reminded me of Doing the Right Thing. And actually a lot about this song sort of remind me of the, that song, Doing the Right Thing, right? Basically just says over and over, I'm always doing the right thing about this character who always does the right thing but sort of feels trapped by it but this song in many in many parts of it it seems like someone instructing someone else to like do the right thing right follow instructions what were some other lines i gravitated towards that reminded me of this just like ideas of rest and relaxation rocket to the brain right step out of line and you'll end up in jail all encompassing rules for living that if you step out of you get in trouble so it just sort of reminded me that doing the right thing now here's my question back to you Go for it. Who, who is making these rules? What person, what group is making these rules that if we step outside, they're going to throw us in jail? Who is it? Interesting. Well, for me, at least in the third verse, and I thought like the third verse sounded very military, right? And the whole song, because it has these short declarative statements, almost like a drill sergeant telling um, the soldiers what to do. And then you told me, because I hadn't been listening to that live, live version, that the first line is stop, everybody get in line, yeah. which sort of brings me back to that drill sergeant again, too. So in the case of this song, I would almost say it is like a drill sergeant telling the soldiers how to properly act. Yeah. Snap into position, bounce till you ache, step out of line, and you end up in jail. Bring me a doctor. I have a hole in my head, but they are just people, and I'm not afraid. You know, I can almost read that as like a military analogy. Snap into position, bounce till you ache could be some sort of training drill. Step out of line and you end up in jail. Bring me a doctor, I have a hole in my head. I mean, this person might be in a battle and just got shot, but they are just people and I'm not afraid. I mean, in war, you're fighting just other people. There's ideologies and militaries and governors and all sorts of histories and contexts that lead up to these, but at the end of the day, you are just fighting people. Interesting. I did not see a militaristic aspect to it until now. I ended up moving away from that too. Okay. But right. I almost got each verse is like a different story or a different anecdote. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I want to continue through your journey because I also okay. had a similar idea. And I think that's the magic of this song is that each verse kind of opens up the lens a little bit more. And you're like, oh, maybe the song isn't about that. It's actually about this. Oh, maybe it's about these people. Maybe these people are talking to these people. So right. I'd, I'd like to get your take on the lines, doctor, doctor, we have nothing in our pockets. We continue, but we have nothing left to offer because that verse stanza always stands out to me when I'm watching Stop Making Sense because I think it's just delivered so catchily. Yeah, I can and hear it. Yeah. What, what do you think of those lines? So this, those lines, I almost want to tie into the next verse. Okay. Because we are born, and I'm going to come back to that. We're born without eyesight. We are born without sin. And our mama protects us from the rain and the cold. Like babies are helpless, right? They don't know how to, they need protection. They're not adjusted to the world, whatever. And then coming back to this line, we have nothing in our pockets, but we have nothing left to offer. Again, thinking of this idea of these like ideas forced onto us, 
it's like a very shallow existence in that there's what are my personal values, right? What is my reason for existence if everything is determined by society, by government, by something outside of me? Oh, That's what I, I think, got from that. I think we're starting to align in what I okay. started to think about this. Um, yeah, I I like that, the idea of rules. I think rules are an important part of the lyrical aspect of this song and rules being forced on someone else seems to be what both of us are seeing as this song progresses. Would you agree? Yes, yes. I think, yeah, I agree to that completely. I also find, found in this listening of this song, the lyrics, faces pressed up against the window. Hey, they are just my friends. Check this out. Don't be so slick. Break our backs. It goes like this. Now this speaker is having these rules pressed upon them, is almost fighting back in those. Like he's seeing maybe this population of friends that he came from looking in this window. Maybe this drill sergeant or powerful individual is shooing them away. And he's like, hey, those are my friends. Check this out. Don't be so slick. Break our backs. It goes like this. Break our backs. It's such a gross anatomical rhetoric that he uses that continues into we are born without eyesight we are born without sin and our mama protects us from the cold and the rain it's almost like this gelatinous fetal idea of like a vulnerable person and it's very hyper realistic and ecological and biological it's yeah it's interesting because i think you can take the faces pressed against the window so many different ways right you can have like the cold scientists studying this gelatinous body growing in the lab and like taking notes as it gets out of control. Yeah. Or like with the baby, like the moms or parents all looking against the window and looking at all mm. the babies or just like kids excited for something, right? You know, like that image of the kids on the school bus with their hands pressed against the window to bring it to existentialism as we must do, right? I love it. Satra, who says we're condemned to be free our existence is inherently free. We're inherently free to choose as we wish, but he says we're condemned by it. Mm. It's like Atlas holding the weight of the world on his shoulders. It's breaking our backs because we get to choose our fate and who wants that responsibility, right? Yeah. It's tough pill to swallow to say, I have to choose what's important to me, what my life is going to be like. Uh. When we are born without eyesight, we're born without sin, right? Mom protecting us. And now we're out on our own. We got to figure out the world for ourselves. Yeah, and it's hard to make those decisions. And decisions, I think, are where I've heard the term flippy-floppy come from before. Someone who's wishy-washy, flippy-floppy, someone that can't make decisions. And it's hard to make decisions, especially when we see this hyper-realistic world with rules forced upon us and a quote-unquote right way to go through life. It's hard to make decisions, especially without our moms protecting us when we reach a certain age. We sing in the darkness. And then we open our eyes, open up, getting into the next line, right? I can't believe it. And people are strange. So there's this nice state when we're a child and we can't open our eyes and we don't see reality when we're not forced with those rules and those systems of our society where everything's nice. We're singing, we're enjoying ourselves. And then we open our eyes into reality and we're like, people are weird. We have this very prescient line that our president's crazy. Did you hear what he said? Mm. This, I think, definitely tells us that David Byrne is a tra time traveler <laughs> and was able to... <laughs> witness 2016 to 2020 and oh, went back okay. and wrote these lyrics um but things like business and pleasure right lie right to your face divide in sections then give it away all these harsh realities of being part of a society which we don't worry about when we're 
little babies with our eyes closed being taken care of mom. Yeah. This reminds me of an anecdote of my yeah. own personal life. Devin, you and I were RAs, resident assistants, aka real adults I used to use when my friends used to make fun of me for being an RA. When I was a... hard works. <laughs> I used to call it. Yeah. So my first year becoming an RA, I, I came in halfway through the year. And now, like, all of a sudden, I have an added responsibility to the school that I am trying to afford and stay at. I was a sophomore, and these two seniors that I still look up to very much today, Andrew and Emma, I mean, wherever they are, just fantastic individuals. Emma and Andrew were talking about all the things wrong with our college. And they said something towards the end of this meeting where they were kind of venting and really frustrated with the rule creating and governing body of the of the university and they said something that made me realize that they were running out of time they grew over four years to really love their school and now they're running out of time and they're worried that every time this happens there's something that needs to change and by the time people realize that it's time to change or something needs to change they're out of time and they leave and they graduate and a new class of people comes in thinking that this school is so great. They're so happy to be here. And then they realize that because they love it, it has flaws. And because they love it, they want to improve it. But by the time they have the power or the ability or the knowledge to improve it, they're already gone. And the new class comes in. And they were just so worried about that. And I felt the same way when I became a senior. And it just reminds me of that idea of we sing in the darkness where, where it's dark for a while and we're just kind of singing in it and basking in how ignorantly blissful it is. And then we open our eyes and I can't believe it. And people are strange. Did you hear what our president said? He's crazy. Like, is that the president of the country or the university? It's just when we open our eyes up to the reality of things, it's really hard and it is painful. But because we love them, that's why we want to change them. Yeah, I mean, I really grasped onto the, like the, our president's crazy, right? We're just realizing that moment of like awakening and that we idolize people based on roles, based on positions. But at the end of the day, they're just people. They're the same little helpless babies born without eyesight and without sin and just as corruptible and complex as we are. Mm -hmm. And just, I've been thinking a lot about like how we idolize certain figures, something I came across in college and why that's dangerous. And should we have heroes? Should we have idols, right? There are no big secrets. Don't believe what you read. We have great big bodies. We got great big heads. Basically saying that there's no secret to reality because it's all sort of things that we've created that we've come up with on our own. These rules, these institutions are just things created by people, people just as imperfect as us. And so there is no big secret to existence or the world or the universe. It's just people living with their big bodies and their big heads running all together. And it still doesn't make sense. And then just to roll with it here, we make it flippy floppy. Let's start over. Let's do it again. I don't know why I just like gravitated towards like Roman Empire falling, the Middle Ages. Let's start it over again. Renaissance. Let's start it over. Industrial Revolution. Like Plato's forms, right? So Plato has his forms and everything else is trying to reach those forms. It's a I know it's not a visual medium, but audience, if you're, He's making <laughs> you'd see that I'm hands. gesturing. I'm making big yeah. circles. Bring me down to earth here. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> At the end of the day, we're just people. We have our flaws. We have insecurities. Even the people we care about the most, even David Byrne is just a person. Even Tina Weymouth, the coolest person I've ever seen ever, is just a person. And this has been a, a large lesson for me 
as I approach adulthood. Some may say I'm already there. I am about to be 24. I look around at people as I start to hit this plateau that comes with age in that I'm no longer a child and I, I have entered the plane of adulthood where I'm now on equal footing with other adults. And I realize that they have insecurities. They are awkward. They make mistakes. They're sad. They're angry. They haven't done all they want in their life. And as a young person, you think adults have it all figured out. Now I just kind of want people to have it figured out so that I will have comfort in knowing that I'll have it figured out when I hit 46. But that's not how it works. People are crazy. People are strange. Even our president could be crazy. It's really kind of scary, if I'm being honest. It's scary to like look at people that I grew up around. These people are, are double the age of me, and they've just kind of been in my life through whatever reasons, neighbors, friends of friends. Oh, you're scared of the world. You're insecure about this. And I'm not judging or like putting them down. In fact, I want to help. But it's scary to realize that these things don't just go away because of age. They have to be worked about, and it's a lifelong journey. It, I have to commit every single day, all day, to confront fear and confront insecurity so that I could just be sane and rational and a contributing member of society, and it's scary. And not to compare you to these people, Devin, but like we can get so caught up in our thought cycles, and we can just get so quick, go from a line about like talking about college to like, Plato and like we jump around all the time like it's amazing how powerful the mind can be I'm just rambling now because I'm afraid I'm afraid it's I'm scared no I think you're completely right I think it's a perfectly rational fear to have but I got caught up when you said I got it figured out and I couldn't figure out what talking said talking said I couldn't figure out what talking head song they say I got it figured out and I've got it figured out uh, good girls bad girls it's cities yeah, it's just good. interesting. I, yeah. I don't know if it's good girls, bad girls. <laughs> what is it? Isn't he saying good, good, good points? Good points. Oh, okay. good points. Good <laughs> That's why when I looked at the lyrics, it wasn't coming up. <laughs> I thought it would relate in some way. I was almost disappointed to find out it was cities. I thought it would be more related to Flippy Floppy, but that's okay. But yeah, going with what you said, I think a big realization I've had, like when you reach your 20s, and at least when you talk to your parents, it's a different kind of conversation. You're sort of, in my experience now, I talk to my parents as if I'm a fellow adult. Yeah. And then I realize, like you're talking about these insecurities, right? These not having it all figured out. When I talk to them, they don't have it all figured out. And they're not asking me for advice, but they're bouncing ideas off of me. And that's like a big, scary realization to have that your parents, who definitely have to have it figured out, right? They were able to raise you somehow, don't. Yeah. And their parents didn't either. Nobody's parents have it all figured out. We're so we're all... We're, we're just all like free wheeling exactly. as like a free as a whole species. We're just like flying by the seat of our pants every day. It's wild. That's it. There's no big secrets. There's no instruction manual. There's nothing that says we're supposed to go this, live this way or that way. We're all just sort of like playing along. But what about this at the end, right? Because making flippy floppy, trying to do my best, I think it goes with what we're saying. But then he says at the end, lock the door. We kill the beast. Kill it. Yeah. Is the beast like what we just let out? Is the beast the door we just opened up and peeked in and we're like, nobody's got anything figured out. And then we got to shut that door and kill that thing because mm. that's going to crumble society. 
All right, all right, okay. That's a fantastic idea because there's two ways that my brain went. The first is that right after he says kill it, it's almost like after he says kill it, the song proceeds, whether the live version or not, into just chaos. It just goes nuts. We have this solid, solid foundation of funk that is so solid that the talking heads are able to build up these wild, atonal, meandering synth solos. And there's nothing left to grasp onto but just the funkiness. And you kind of just have to dance the song until it ends. Because in in the live version, Bernie Worrell, who's like a great keyboard player, played with Parliament Funkadelic, has these just like they're not solos they're not melodic he takes like a well-known americana tune and just makes it into dissonant chaos and then the second solo he takes in the song doesn't have any notes it's just like modulated and at the end they're just grooving and funking all around and there's just almost nothing to grasp onto this duality that we're talking about is that there are rules but also we're just kind of floating through entropy and chaos and what side are you going to choose or land on or do you acknowledge both that it's a funky song but it's also kind of a scary song and i like that as the beast the beast being reality and facing reality just being present yeah i sort of like the beast instead of like the beast is something we got to lock away the beast is our giving up a grasp of institutions it's the institutions itself and that's what we're killing and it reminds me I'm trying to think of a specific example of like, you know, when a novel or a movie ends and it's like the the protagonist or whatever sets off the apocalypse, they start it. I'm thinking of Cat's Cradle by Kurt Vonnegut. Have you ever read it? I have listened to it on audiobook and fallen asleep before I okay. it. Well, can I give some spoilers for it? Yes. Yes, you can. Spoiler alert. Everyone if you're not listen. interested in hearing spoilers, yeah, you can try. But Granted, this is going to be a classic. Devin doesn't fully remember <laughs> the story, but I'm going to roll with it. There's like this ice thing, right? And basically, it will turn all of Earth's water into ice. And at the end, this character who's spending the whole novel trying to prevent the ice from being spread and destroying the world basically has that mindset like, screw it, kill the beast, and destroys the world and destroys all the ice. And sort of like everything has to start over. That's not how the book goes. So I'm going to give a different example with something I remember a little recently. Wait, wait, wait. What's that might be... what, what were you talking about just then? What book is that? I want to read I'm like, I'm like 50% sure that's the end of Cat's Cradle, but it's not. if it's not, then I got to write that down because that's an interesting story. That's great. But there's another book, The Girl with All the Gifts. It's like this novel. They find these children and they have, there's, they're like zombies, but they can think and they can act like human beings and they can sort of control their zombiness. Turns out, weird, whatever. The zombies are having babies and these are the kids. Don't read too much into it. It was weird for anyone reading it. But at the end, there's like a big fungus that the zombies are run by fungus. You ever hear the cordyceps fungus, which is like this fungus that takes over ants' brains and makes mm-hmm. them go crazy? Yeah, disgusting. But they do it for humans. And they find this big like spore of it. And they're like, if you light it on fire, that will go into the atmosphere and it'll kill all of humanity. But at the end, the little zombie girl does it and she like kills all of humanity, right? Because there's a new generation, the zombie children generation. Of course. And they take over. But the idea of like triggering an an apocalypse, killing everything that exists at the point of massive like 
social disruption, chaos, craziness, but to start over for something better. That's almost what the end of the song feels like. Yeah. Making flippy floppy, being making a tough decision, trying to do my best, something utilitarianistic, doing the greatest good for the greatest amount of people, even if it's, even if it's zombie people. Thus, yeah. we lock the door, kill the beast, kill it, and then descend into madness. It's almost the end of every book ever, <laughs> you know, like a tough decision that leads to a new beginning. And speaking of like almost like a new beginning being cyclical, we can go back to back to these first lines of nothing can come between us, nothing gets you down. We talked about these being in couples therapy. And what is therapy but discussing your insecurities and what you're afraid of and the things that you need to work on head on. It is making a brave decision to get better and face the scary beasts that lay within your own soul. I think, I think that's what I grasp onto in this. But before we go into what I think, maybe we could take a quick break. What do you think? Let's do it. Yeah. All right, let's take a quick break. Let it all sink in. Let the yin flow into your soul. Let all the hard work we've done so far flow in. And then we'll come back and we'll discuss more flippy floppy after this. How many times has this happened to you? You have a podcast, you've decided that you're going to have fake advertisements in the middle of it, but then neither you or your co-host has come up with an ad. You know what would be really convenient? A way to cut that ad right in the middle. Well, with Ad Under Plus 2, the follow-up app to the Ad Under Plus 1, and... Let's say we do set the fungus ablaze and end all of humanity which is a sentence I didn't expect to say today. I just recently introduced one of my friends to Stop Making Sense. And I introduced it as a musical in three acts. And I think that this is the first song in act two. Every act is 30 minutes. Act one starts with Psycho Killer, ends with Life During Wartime, full blackout, and then opens up with Making Flippy Floppy. We got those big red tiles with words that don't match up at all and the lights come on and he says wait a minute everybody get in line nothing can come between us nothing gets you down nothing strikes your fancy nothing turns you on i also saw this as a older couple falling out of love or just falling into romantic terminal velocity which i've seen in a lot of married couples now going back to getting older and like observing adult habits. I think it's just natural. You just become a more human partnership, maybe less romantic. I did see it as an idea of numbness, becoming numb to life. You walk into a bright room. It's really bright when you first get there. When you first open your eyes to life, it's very intense. When you stay there for a while, your eyes adjust. At any point, Devin, did you feel any idea of numbness or feeling maybe some sort of lack of humanity in this song because i did feel that a lot definitely lack of humanity and one of my initial um interpretations of the song i wasn't sure if i was gonna bring it in but now i think i will is that this is like conversation that you would hear around a water cooler right just a bunch of mundane anecdotes from people's life that are they're sort of numb they're vapid there's nothing there it's conversation that you have just for the purpose of chatter and gossip 
So I definitely yeah. see what you mean, like a lack of meaning. And it starts with something that we've all seen before, which is an older couple falling out of love. And then going into, you don't have to wait for more instructions. No one makes a monkey out of me. We lie on our backs, feet in the air, rest and relaxation, rocket to my brain. Just spitballing here right now with my idea of disillusionment with life. We don't get instructions for life. So you really have the free will, in theory, to do anything you want. But most of us will fall in line with what we've seen before. A monogamous relationship, get a nice house if we can, get a steady job, raise a family, put your own ideals and dreams aside for the reality of things. And is that what becoming an adult is? Because if so, I'm scared again. I don't want that to be what that is. I want to have like dreams and goals for my whole life. I like this idea that each verse is a character being disillusioned. I think the second verse is our person who's doing the right thing in that American Utopia song. Because in that song too, I think you see the character get disillusioned like, this isn't my business, but why am I doing it? Why am I doing things in this sort of way? And I think that adds credence to the idea that maybe we have something to do with the military and disillusionment with military and those systems and the president. I'm going to let you keep going because I think I have some summative statements about the song. So continue. All right, all right. Yeah, so at this point, I'm, I'm really just kind of hearing this as like a 55-year-old man singing this or like the experience of like a not quite senior citizen, but over the hill individual. I especially hear it in the lines, no one makes a monkey out of me. I hear that as like an older man yelling at his wife about his job. Like they're taking advantage of me. All I want is some rest and relaxation. This capitalistic, hyper-capitalistic, inhumane society bearing down on someone, like almost leading to a breakdown. And then that's when I started to realize, especially when I got to the next line of snap into position, bounce till you ache, step out of line and you end up in jail. This is not a happy song. We've talked about this must be the place. We've talked about cities. We've talked about uh, love comes to town. Those all have messages, but no song has covered the stuff, the topics that they're singing about in this song. And I realized how many lyrics are in this song. And I, I also then surmise that the Talking Heads had something to say here. They were making a statement. They weren't just being coy or having a nice song with a nefarious undertone to go off of, which don't get me wrong, I love. But I think they were making a socio-political statement with this song. I think this is, in a lot of ways, can be interpreted as a protest song. Or at least holding up a mirror to the cruel realities of American capitalistic society. I went back to the concert version. I watched the video. And they have those big words behind them, flashing those words that don't really make sense in a random order. And I'm taking notes as I watch because I'm like, there's got to be some secret message hidden here. It's like a Da Vinci Code-esque. David Byrne is giving us the clues to decode this song. Yeah. And I think you've given me some direction with it, with what you're talking about and what we discussed with these institutions and really just meaninglessness, right? Because these words, and I, you talked about consumerism. I think the words they took out, like some of the ones that stuck up to me were like grits and words associated with products and they just put them in random orders but in big letters like an advertisement like off a billboard and to connect back to an earlier episode that's right people this is a serial podcast 
the only way you can understand what we're talking about is if you listen. But in our first episode, we talked about the glottal space and the meaninglessness of words, right? The glottal space is the only meaningful world, word because it's universal in the language, but everything else, like a lamp, there's no essence of a lamp that makes me look at it and be like, this is a lamp. Like someone, an alien comes down, they're not gonna look at the lamp and say, oh, that's a lamp, obviously. They're gonna come up with some different word. And putting the words in these big titles meaninglessly behind them is to again represent that these institutions, these ideas, these systems we have in place really are just arbitrarily put there. To bring it another avenue too, I was having a conversation with my girlfriend who's in, who wants to be a copy editor. And she's very um, up to date on everything to go on, going on with grammar. And there's two sects of the grammar world, descriptivist and prescriptivist. And prescriptivists say you stick to language the way it was meant to be. You stick to the rules of language, don't mess with things, because if you do, we risk falling into chaos. Whereas descriptivist says you use language as you use it in every day. Language is evolving, it's an organism, let's let it move, zeitgeist, whatever it may be of the time is. And it's interesting because if you go too far to either extreme, you follow descriptivism too much, you fall into chaos. You could, I could just make up a bunch of random words and that's the new form of language. But yeah. prescriptivist allows no room for adaptation from change. We kill the beast at the end of the song. We start over. But when you brought us back to the beginning, that first line, that always reminds me of like, I think it's like a common trope in apocalypse films or whatever it is, or rebellion films where they have the rebellion and it succeeds and maybe they destroy everything. But then, the hero, like the protagonist, they come back years later or whatever, right away, and the same system that was in place, they see like rising again. You know, like in Star Wars, the new Star Wars movies, the Empire comes back at the end, even though they did all that stuff to get rid of them, and then they're back. Like that idea of no matter what we do, no matter what way we go, we cycle back on ourselves, and maybe like that's just as human beings, right? As the way our brains work, the way we operate in the world, we're doomed to repeat the same mistakes we're doomed to come to this final ending every time. Very interesting. I was also thinking about the Star Wars movies and also how drastic change doesn't happen drastically. It happens, you can have a, you can blow up the Death Star twice and there's still going to be hate in the universe. Yeah, they blew up the Death Star, but there was just a whole society that was under the Emperor's rule it's not just going to go away forever. We've discussed in the first line of nothing can come between us, nothing gets you down, this idea of numbness in the average person. And then we talk about step out of line and you end up in jail is this authoritarian rule. And now we go to, doctor, doctor, we have nothing in our pockets. We continue, but we have nothing left to offer. This is a large debate in American politics right now and all over the world of Medicare, medication, healthcare. Who gets it? Do we just have natural rights as humans to get healthcare, to stay alive? Is it part of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness? Or is it part of capitalism? Do we have to pay into it? Do we have to earn it through work? If so, if it's the latter, then there's going to be an in-group and an out-group. And maybe that's why faces are pressed against the window, looking into the people that do have healthcare, that do have the means, the ends. And then we look back when we finally make it and say, hey, those are my friends. It's sad. I started to read this as an allegory for hyper-capitalistic society and maybe even reasons for revolution. And Devin, you're holding a book. I'd love to see what you're reading. Let's see it. 
for the first time, I want to actually go to the source that I'm referencing and nice. get it right. You were discussing the idea of like healthcare, these defining issues of a generation, right? And we sort of get to this like history repeating itself. And I brought up, I recently read American Museum of Natural History, my favorite place. It was, this is a book called The American Museum of Natural History and How It Got That Way by Colin Davey. There's one part that really stuck with me, and I think it's related to this episode, so I wanted to share it with you as well. They're talking about the time capsule, the American Museum of Natural History that was put in when, they, when it was first founded and re-excavated in 1968. It's dug up back on November 19th, 1968, and this is what they say about it. After reading headlines of the 1874 newspapers about cabinet shakeups, civil rights, criticism of the police, and concerns about communism, the museum's president, Gardner D. Stout, remarked, nothing changes. And that just stuck with me, too, because cabinet shakeups, civil rights, criticism of the police, even communism, yeah. that's still stuff we're talking about in the news. And it was in the newspaper 1874. It was relevant in 1968. It's relevant in 2021. Yeah. That these issues, these defining problems of our generation, they just remain. And they come up new. It's again, it's the Star Wars, right? Whether it's Darth Vader or Adam Driver, there's always going to be that good and bad. I don't know. Back to yeah. you. <laughs> well, firstly, I love how you equate Darth Vader and then instead of Kylo Ren, you just say Adam Driver. I couldn't remember. <laughs> there's always going to be Adam Driver. I mean, just exactly. two equals and evil. Yeah, I mean, that just genuinely made me sad to know that they were discussing that a long time ago and we're still facing seemingly the same problems and if i could kind of go off of that maybe not as directly related to the song but just ideas of problems sticking around and feeling we're kind of just grinding our gears i had a very powerful emotional and physical experience about a few weeks ago i was in my brother's apartment in new york and he put on a speaking of Darth Vader, interesting. James Earl Jones, who does the voice for Darth Vader, was reading a speech that Frederick Douglass made, I believe, uh, on a Fourth of July. I'm not quite sure what year it was, but James Earl Jones delivers this powerful, biting but poetic speech that Frederick Douglass says of how beautiful this country could be, but how dark and terrifying it is now for black Americans. And it made me openly weep. It was horrible to listen to the conditions, but also made me incredibly grateful because we have come a long way and it does seem like we could make these final pushes, not final, but very powerful pushes for equity and equality because we have really made a lot of changes. And in the grand scheme of the cosmos, we haven't been around for that long. So even 1860, when that book, when that time capsule went underground, it's not that long ago. It feels long ago from the perspective of humans, but in a short time, we're able to make a big difference. And it starts with facing the problems head on and looking at them as they are and not getting caught up in what is said in the water cooler or what the president says. We have to look at it in reality. The question is, what is the true reality and can humans even see it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. What do you think? Yes, nothing changes. 
But on the whole, things have gotten better. And I wanted to find out who said it, but Harvard psychology professor Steven Pinker says that, yes, although it may not look like it, although things are bad, on the whole, things have gotten better. Look at rates of mortality, right? Look at rates of disease. I remember, I think it was a speech by Obama when he said when someone was comparing the civil rights movement then to the civil rights movement that now and saying that it's basically the same. And he said, no, that's not the case at all. Are there still issues that need to be solved? Are there still really big problems? Yes. But would I rather be alive then than now? Granted, he wasn't talking in 2021 on the right in the aftermath of like a storming of the Capitol and an insurrection on the government. But on the whole, yes, things have gotten better. And I'm just looking at some quotes from here, right, of what this psychologist Steven Pinker says is that progress is not the same as magic. There are always blips and setbacks and sometimes horrific lurches. This was written in 2018, but I think it's just as relevant now, right? Like the Spanish flu pandemic, replace it with COVID. World War II and the post-1960s crime boom. Talk about what's happening now with hyperpolarization and the insurrection on the Capitol. But progress takes place when the setbacks are fewer, lesser, severe, or stop altogether. But on the whole, despite diseases and wars and still vast inequities, it's better now than it was then. So I think we do have reason to be optimistic. What do we look to to guide us through? Oftentimes it's religion. Okay, if you don't have religion, what do you choose? A lot of people choose scientific principles because, or physics because it feels like the realest thing. If you learn about the physical principles down to the molecular all the way up to the cosmos, It seems like we'll have a a tighter grasp on reality, and maybe you do, but does the smartest astrophysicist have any more bearing on reality than the Dalai Lama or a, a modern prophet? They'll have different lenses to look through, and maybe they are very lucid, and maybe just an average person, average religious person, believer, or average scientist, or every just human just trying to build their own moral code could be just as lucid, but no one has all the answers, and... I think that's what the magic of a lot of Stop Making Sense songs or a lot of Talking Heads songs are, especially this one, is that they're built on a solid foundation of funk. Just as the government is built on a solid foundation of constitutionalism or religion is built on a strong foundation of belief systems and dogma. But what we put on top of that is up to the distinction of ourselves. We have free will for it. So although we have a strong constitution that guides our government, we're going to still have scary moments where the capital is storm. Chaos can exist even when there's order. And that in itself is very frightening. We think that order allows safety. But just like you said with grammar, like too much order is also bad. Just like too much order in government is bad and leads to authoritarianism and silencing free speech. And these are the great conversations of our lifetime. And as I'm speaking, I realize I have no conclusion to what I'm saying. Just like, I guess makes sense. I, there's no conclusion to this other than, I guess I'm just facing the reality of things in that there's a lot of unknown. To bring us to maybe a conclusion, I want to bring in my stop making sense, which I think has a lot more meaning to me now than even when I originally found it. So I grasped onto the line, no one makes a monkey out of me. And I thought about like the argument against evolution 
And when people would say, well, look at Darwin, he's trying to make a monkey out of me. He's trying to say that I'm the same as a monkey, right? And I turned to the Scopes monkey trial. I found this really cool article from PBS.org, American Experience, about John Thomas Scopes. Most of my knowledge of the Scopes monkey trial comes from like what you learned in eighth grade that high school teacher taught evolution in his class, put on trial because that went against the law that said you're not allowed to teach evolution. But there's a lot more there. 1925, John Thomas Scopes, he's fresh out of college, he's completed his first year as a science teacher in Tennessee. He was going to go home to Kentucky for the summer, but to quote him exactly, in his words, he says, a beautiful blonde woman distracted me, and it led him to stay in Tennessee for another week, and this changed everything. Meanwhile, Tennessee had just passed a law making it illegal to teach human evolution in schools. Very interesting, too. The law only forbid the teaching of human evolution. You're allowed, you were allowed to teach evolution of dinosaurs, evolution of whales, right? But if you said that humans came from lower animals, went against church doctrine, that's when it was illegal. Hmm. So the ACLU wanted to go against this because obviously it's a restriction of freedoms and what we're allowed to teach in speech. So they put out ads for teachers to go against these laws in court. Dayton, town in Tennessee, was in economic trouble. They wanted a big trial to put it on the map. So they advertised for this trial for teachers in Dayton. So there's a lot of different things going on. It's not even, it's not just evolution versus religion. Yeah. It's the economic struggle of this town. It's the ACLU had just been established at the time, really trying to establish themselves as an organization to fight for the rights of people. It's this random coincidence that Scopes happened to be in Tennessee for an extra week. A group of businessmen reach out to Scopes and they ask if he would be willing to be indicted for teaching evolution, right? Be their defendant. Scopes agreed. But the truth was, he didn't even know if he actually taught evolution in his class. He couldn't remember. So he may not have even have ever taught evolution, but they just needed a person yeah. to be the defense so they could say Scopes versus the state of Tennessee, right? Massive media attention. This was the first live broadcast trial in America. So it, put, it accomplished what Dayton wanted to do by putting it on the map. Despite Scopes being like the titular character in this trial, right? Little attention was actually given to him. He was just used for the sake of the case. And he was fine with it. And there's an interesting anecdote. One day the journalist was absent and Scopes filled in for him. That's how um, small his role was in the actual case. Scopes took the role of the journalist because he wasn't doing anything. It was basically a platform for the ACLU and, the peop and religious fundamentalists to argue out whether evolution should be allowed to be taught in schools. So in the end, Scopes was convicted, $100 fee, about $15, $100 as today. And not until the last day did Scopes speak. He said this, he said, Your Honor, I feel that I have been convicted on violating an unjust statute. I will continue in the future as I have in the past to oppose this law in any way I can. First time he spoke, though, was on the last day. After the trial, Scopes gave up teaching. He earned a degree in geology and worked as a petroleum engineer in Venezuela. He wanted to live in anonymity. So he moved over to Venezuela because no one knew about him. But he says this quote, and it's such an amazing quote. A man's fate, shaped by heredity and environment and an occasional accident, is often stranger than anything the imagination may produce. Hmm. Because that quote goes to it's speaking to evolution. And it reminds me of the Darwin quote where he says, endless forms, bright and beautiful, have evolved and are evolving by evolution. Nature and nurture, right? Heredity and environment and random chance creates things that we could have never imagined. Scopes just happened to be in the right place at the right time 
by random chance, was a teacher by environment, right? Nature could have been any sort of thing. The fact that he was willing to stand up for this and it led to this consequence. We're talking about where is meaning. You say, let's go back to the laws of physics, right? Let's go back to like the laws of evolution, which says that nature and nurture, these two things, we have our genes, the environment chooses whether you express those genes or not. And that determines, doesn't determine, but that can set the passage of your life. Is it a meaningless universe? Maybe. We can still make meaning out of it. And meaning can still come from it. Is there, there's no point in making a big rule book for everything because things are going to go crazier than we could have ever imagined. Yeah. I think, uh, I think of Carl Sagan and also Neil deGrasse Tyson and the New York Cosmos. They really do a good job of introducing spiritual and religious ideas and equating them to a lot of scientific and physical principles. And they kind of talk about this of how we work, we're meaning making machines and we like to have an explanation for things and we have crafted these wonderful mythologies and powerful uniting religions to explain something that in itself is almost just as holy and cosmic and wonderful and enlightening in just being the natural order of things. And I think that's beautiful. Just some sort of solace in that chaos, while scary, is just how it is. And no matter what happens, life goes on, life cycles through, and um, whether you believe it or not, teach it or not, evolution happened, continues to happen, and will continue to happen on all sorts of scales. And whether you're an authoritarian state suppressing information, saying that there are no big secrets, don't believe what you read, it's still true. Whether it's the president being crazy, did you hear what he said over the water cooler of your meaningless, sad life in in the monotony of life, whether you're at your boring job in your loveless marriage, you're a miracle that you're even there. So it's almost beautiful in that way. It, it is beautiful in that way. That's what I got out of that. What do you think? Mythology and religion are just the science of the past. They're just ways for making meaning out of the world. The only way they differ from science is science says we need to adapt our understanding to new information. We need to be willing to change and need to be willing to shift. I think that's what this song is telling us too, right? As long we can follow these institutions, we can follow these systems. Sometimes they work pretty well. Sometimes we need them. We are helpless little babies who need some guidance. They can make us happy, but you also have to be willing to set someone free, even if it's at the expense of breaking someone's heart, yeah. of caving down society, of allowing that fungus to kill off humanity to start the next generation of humanity, right? We got to kill the beast. We got to kill it and start over because we just have to be willing to change and shift with the times. Because even though nothing changes, it is changing and things are progressing progressing and we just need to progress with them absolutely we're just trying our best trying our best Fantastic. yeah yeah good stuff i think it's a wonderful spot to end and Devin, i think so too as we're concluding i ask you what's going to keep you hungry how are you going to stay hungry going forward i'm just going to keep like you said trying my best and realizing that at the end of the day that's really all you can do as long as you keep that growth mindset and are willing every once in a while to kill that beast, break your heart, 
in order to set yourself free. Yeah, I love that. I think I'm going to look at this song as as its own guiding text of how to go through life and that although there's chaos swirling all around us, there is some sort of guiding principle and steady, funky rhythm keeping us grounded. Um, whether it's religion, God, or science keeping us all down, just dance through life. Let the song be funky. Yeah, there's a lot of messy, dissonant synth solos on top of it, but if you just dance to Tina's awesome bass part in the song, which I was remiss, we haven't mentioned that bass line at all, and I had to get it in somewhere. Just dance to the funkiness of making Flippy Floppy and try your best. And uh, I'm gonna, I already love this song, and I'm going to love it even more going forward. Me too. And you know what? I'm not going to kill the bass. I'm going to make it Flippy Floppy. So Nice. Fantastic. Let's make it Flippy Floppy. <laughs> yeah. Devin, always a pleasure. This was, this was really great. Um, Definitely. And great stuff. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thanks. Stop making sense. Stop making sense.